All right. So we're continuing to talk about uh, who you are in Christ. What does it mean? What is understanding who we are in Christ? So we're going to talk today about, and we've talked about, we've touched on some of these elements, uh, and we're going to touch on a little more today about you, you are family. You're the family of God, and, and we're going to talk about some of the elements of that. But one of the interesting things to me that from the very beginning that Paul talks about, it kind of throws us off because we're not used to this. This terminology has kind of been co-opted uh, by, by the, the Catholic Church. So when we think about the term saints, we, we, have, we, we have a weird view of what a saint is. We have a distorted view of what a saint is. Uh, the Bible says that if you're in Christ, you're a saint. Everyone who is in Christ is a saint. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. This is how he, Paul starts his letter to the Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So he begins his letter to the, to the you know, Ephesians, to the saints. Then you'll find several times throughout Ephesians, he says uh, in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So he's, he still refers to his saints. He just routinely, you can read all through the New Testament, uh, he referred to Christians as saints. Romans 1.7, Paul's talking to the church at Rome, to all who are b- beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Then even to the Corinthians, and one of the Corinthians were a bunch of knuckleheads. You know, so the Corinthians, I mean, we have two letters. We have First and Second Corinthians. We know that First Corinthians, Paul is, re- is refers to a, a previous letter that he's written to the Corinthians. So there were actually three letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Uh, we have two of them. Uh, and so out of those, out of those three letters, he, he's having to, in both First and Second Corinthians, he's correcting more than probably any other letters to the churches, except possibly the Galatians, who he calls you foolish Galatians. Uh, he is, he's trying to correct some behavioral stuff, some problems they're having, some immorality in the church. Uh, they're not appreciating each other. They're not valuing the body of Christ. So he's correcting that even to them, even to, even to impa- imperfect, struggling Christians who are trying to live it out, aren't always doing great. He calls them saints. To the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. You are made a saint. Here's how you become a saint. You become a saint by the work of Christ. Becoming a saint is not something that you do. It's something that God does for you. Now, uh, a lot of you grew up in the Catholic Church, and the, the, the Catholic view of sainthood does not align with the biblical view of sainthood. Uh, how, there is a process uh, to become a Catholic saint, and uh, there's at least 10 steps are involved. Uh, Father Mar- James Martin has written this down. It actually became kind of uh, the Pope kind of... Uh, canonized it in, 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 in Catholic law in the 17th century. So first of all, you have to be a Catholic. If you want to be a Catholic saint, you have to be a Catholic. Then you have to die. And then a local devotion group grows up around your memory. So people will, you know, 
then uh, your life is investigated. And so then the local bishop sends your case to the Vatican. And then, then if miracles are attributed to the, to the saint, to the future saint. And then the Vatican investigates the miracles. And then if the miracles are, seem to be valid, then the Vatican declares that person blessed. And then if more miracles over a period of time are attributed to praying to that saint, then you're declared a saint. Uh, that's all it takes. Being a Catholic, then dying. Those are two things, you know. So that's not how we believe you become a saint. We believe you become a saint because of the work of Christ, not because of the work that you do. So in relationship to that, we don't pray to saints to get our prayers answered. We pray to Jesus. First Timothy 2.5 says this, for there's one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So who, who is standing between us and God? Jesus. Not Mary. No saint. Christopher's not there. Paul's not there. Peter's not there. James isn't there. No great hero of the church. Mother Teresa's not there. There's no saint that is standing between us and God. It's Jesus. So our mediator is, is Jesus. Thank you, Mike, for agreeing with me. We've, I've got one. You know, I'm thinking, you know, I might have to need some elders helping me in a little while. Uh, Hebrews 7.23. The former priest, on the one hand, talking about the priesthood and the Old Testament priesthood, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. They couldn't continue being priests because they died. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Who do you want praying for you? You want Jesus praying for you. And you want Jesus praying for you because he ever lives to make intercession for us. This is one of the things that Jesus is doing right now. He's at the right hand of the Father making the intercession for us. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for our own sins, for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, because he did it once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever." There's no one higher, there's no one better for you to pray to than Jesus. Everything else is idolatry. Just throwing that out there. And here's the thing. He's not too busy. He's not overwhelmed. You don't have to go to a place to talk to him. You don't have to be in a building. You don't have to be with a priest. You don't have to be with a pastor. You don't need anybody else besides you and Jesus because Jesus made the way for you. Jesus paid the price. He made the way. He's the intercessor. We pray to him and he intercedes on our behalf. 
So the biblical view of sainthood is different because it's not something you attain. It's not a, re- a result of something that you've done or something you've accomplished or you can't lose it because you've messed up. It requires one thing. How do you become a saint? You're in Christ. It's something that Christ does on your behalf. You are made a saint by the work of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I've always loved, I just love that verse that we in Christ, we become the righteousness of God in Christ. We are made righteous. When? Or is it when we get to heaven are we going to be righteous? Are we righteous after we do good stuff? No, we're righteous because of what Christ has done, the complete work of Christ on the cross. He has made us righteous. Either you are a saint in Christ or you ain't in Christ. There it is. <laughs> I had to work on that for a long time. Sin may describe your activity, but it doesn't describe your identity. Your identity is in and through Jesus Christ. I am a saint who sins. I'm not a sinner who saints. I'm not a sinner that occasionally does good stuff. See, my identity, do I sin? Anybody else else in here sin besides me? couple, right? Okay. We sin, but that's not our identity. Our identity is in Christ. Our identity is as saints. Well, how does God describe us? You see, you should describe yourself the way God describes you. We talked about I am who he says I am. I'm not who I feel like I am. I am who he says I am. Who does he say I am? Well, he says, because and only because of the complete work of Christ. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not boastful or proud. It's, I'm, I'm humble. I need to be humble about it because I didn't do it. It's his doing. It's by his doing we have been made righteous. So I am a saint in Christ. So I would just challenge you to identify with who you, not where or who you were, but who you are. If you just keep calling yourself a sinner, it kind of gives you some leeway, for, like an excuse. I'm not a saint who sins. I am a saint who sins, not a sinner who saints. In other words, I'm, my identity is in that I am a saint in Christ. We're also, we're sons of God, which is, this is an incredible thing because God has done something incredible in that he has brought us into his family. And the full dimension of that, I don't think we'll fully realize until we, until we walk into his presence, but to, to be, we are the sons of God. Now we are the sons of God. And it's so incredible that he is the whole plan of God, the whole purpose of God. As we see, as we see Genesis info, unfold from Genesis to Revelation, we see that what God's plan in Genesis is that for God and man to rule together. Then we see in Revelation 21 that God fulfills that. 
and that the, the Edemic vision, God's original vision of God and man ruling together is going to be fulfilled in heaven when the new heaven and new earth, when heaven and earth come together and we eternally reign together with God and God rules and reigns with us. That was the, that was the plan. That was the plan of Eden. for. And so what God started... And he said to the man, be fruitful and multiply. He's like, fill the earth. Let's make all the earth of Eden. And they, we failed at that. So God says, okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. You, weren't, you didn't do it. And, uh, and that's the whole story. I mean, what's the whole story? The whole story, the whole Bible story is we need a Savior. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take very many pages in the Bible. It's three chapters in the Bible, and we've already lost it all. We've already forfeited it all for a piece of fruit. We've all thrown it away for whatever it was. You know, it must have been, you know, what, whatever it was. We always assume it was an apple, but, you know, probably wasn't. But now, God's plan, we, we are now, we are, we are sons of God. We are irrevocably in the family of God. We have been brought into the family of God. We've been adopted. This is the term that Ephesians uses. And we talk about this adoption. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. In other words, according to he had made up his mind to do it, the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in the beloved. Uh, that's a great term. We've been adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ. Now, in the Roman Empire, adoption was, was often used. Uh, by powerful people, they would adopt other adults to, to continue their legacy. Uh, all of the Julio-Claudian emperors adopted sons the, in the era of, of uh, you know, it, it wasn't, a, you know, you can imagine, all, all the emperors were very paranoid because they got killed off, often, a lot of times by their own wives. Uh, Claudius had a, had a biological son by Julia Agrippa, and Julia Agrippa had already killed her first husband so she could marry uh, Claudius. Uh, and uh, so, so when she, she married, she had a, a son from her first marriage who she'd killed that husband, and she married Claudius, and, the, and so she, she encouraged Claudius to uh, adopt her son, Nero, from her first marriage, he was 12 years old, and, and so Claudius made him heir to the dynasty. Claudius made Nero next in line for the throne. So then Julia poisoned him with mushrooms so that Nero could come to the throne at 17 years old. You know, you think your family's dysfunctional. Uh, so they, I mean, so they used adoption, but they used adoption more as a way to, to as, as, a, as a mechanism to maintain power and control wealth. But the early church did something different. The early church did adoption differently. The early church, which many of the early church were absolutely in abject poverty and were poor because to become a member of the kingdom of God and to identify as a Christian, you often lost your place in society. Let's say you were a tanner, and, uh, and you became a Christian, or you were a, a, a seller of purple dyes like Lydia. And to do that, to sell your goods, you were a part of a guild. You were a part of a group of people. 
And all of those people, because in Rome, uh, following the Greek condition, uh, the Greek philosophy, they worshiped all of the Greek and Roman gods. So had all been become this pantheon. They had a pantheon of gods. They had gods for you know every purpose. You know, you had your war gods, you had your sea gods, your fishing gods. You've got, so every area, everybody kind of had their patron god. So they would go to the temple uh, of the patron god to have their guild meetings. So if you were, you know, so let, let, you're a tanner, you're a seller of purple cloth, you would go to your guild meetings, and they would go and eat the food that had been sacrificed to idols. They would eat there. Uh, at the temple. So when people became Christians, they would say, ooh, I can't go there anymore. I can't, I can't go to that temple of that false god and act like I believe that, there's a, that this god is a god. This isn't a god. This is a piece of stone. This isn't real. But there's a real god. There's a real god, and, <laughs> and there's a real Savior, and I know him now. And because I know him, now that Jesus Christ is the, my Lord, then I can't do that so that they would be kicked out of that ability to make a living. It's like if they found out you were a Christian at your job and said, I'm sorry, you can't work here anymore because you're a Christian. And so, so a lot of the early church was very poor, but even though they were very, very poor, uh, they did, they, and we've talked about this quite a bit, this is one of the things that they did that turned the world upside down, is that they, they, they operated out of not retaliation, because a lot of them had, had bad things happen to them, their families had been killed and murdered by other people, and they didn't retaliate, they didn't, they didn't try to get even, they, you know what they did, they forgave the pe- people instead. And this was, that, that's not how you operate in honor culture, in honor culture, somebody hurts you, you hurt them. And if you don't hurt them, you're not honoring your family. And so they operate in this different technique. So they, they, they find that the Roman culture routinely discards babies that are unwanted. And so they would take children that were unwanted uh, and just take them out into the forest or take them to the garbage dump and just what they called exposure, just put them out in the elements and, you know, babies have to be taken care of. And if they're not taken care of, they die. So they would, put, they would expose them to die. So inconvenient children, children of, of uh, illicit relationships, uh, people who felt like they couldn't afford it, or they just, just didn't want them because they, didn't want to, they, didn't, they wanted an heir, they wanted a male child, and they didn't want a girl child. And so much so that they discarded, kind of like China messed up and got rid of all their girl children to where they, they didn't have anybody for the men to marry. Same thing happened in Rome. So they, they discarded all their girls, and so the, the, the Christians would go and find these children and, make them, and adopt them and raise them as their own. They made them their own. They, they brought them into their family. They saved them from the garbage heap, from the sex trade, from slavery. And they brought them in, and so they, they just raised them as their own, so much so that 40 or 50 years into Christianity is, is, has been doing this, uh, there's, there's nobody to, they've gotten rid of all the girls, and all the girls have been raised by Christian families. So if you want to get married now, later on, 40 years later, 
the results are that you've got to become a Christian. So anyway, so the early church turned the world upside down by, by this adoption process, often very poor people. In the same, see, in the same, so God's done this for us. They were illustrating what God's done for us, that God has rescued us from the garbage heap. He's rescued us from being abandoned, thrown out, discarded by the world system. And he's, I love what Colossians 1.13 says. He, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's a cool verse. He, he rescued us from the domain. We were, under the, we were under the control, the dominion of darkness. And he came in and he rescued us from the gar- garbage heap and he brought us into his household. God brought us into his household. And now we're family. Now we're sons into the kingdom of his beloved son. And then we see this term beloved, beloved. Uh, so God used this term about us. He says, you know, uh, we're beloved. If you read this verse in Ephesians 1, 5, and 6, he, he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in the beloved. So we're, we're, we're free, we've had this freely bestowed on us, that God's love. We're beloved. I don't know how to illustrate it really well. There's just things that get your heart. You know, they've got your heart. What has your heart? It's beloved. My wife has my heart. 45 years last week. She's put up with me 45 years. Well, and it just seems like yesterday. Uh, She's beloved. Once you have grandkids, you'll understand the term beloved. You know, now kids are wonderful. I love my kids and they're, they're loved and beloved, but I don't know. Grandkids are, are different. Yeah. It, 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 you, it's, I, I call it love squared. It's because you, you you love something that's been created by something that you love. You love your kids and then they've created these little regrets and it's just, it just multiplies it because it's, they're your kids. And you, you, see the, you see them doing stuff that they did too. And, I, you know, it's just, it, it's got your heart. They've got your heart. And that's what it says. That's what it's saying about you and God, that, that <laughs> you're beloved by God. And he's, what's incredible about this, he, he speaks about you in the same way that he speaks about his son. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he, sa- he, then he says of you, because of Christ, he says, he, he looks at you and says, this is my beloved son. You. You are beloved. You are a beloved daughter. You know, it's almost, I think sometimes we do with God the way we do with compliments. You know, that's, you ever have, you know, somebody give you a compliment, it kind of embarrasses you a little bit. You say, you know, hey, oh man, 
you look, you look great. And you want to discount it. You, know, you, you don't want to say, well, thanks. I, I know I did. I looked in the mirror and I thought, wow, uh, man, I'm going to look great today. I'm going to get a lot of compliments. You know, I mean, you know, you didn't, you know. And so, you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, you're like, thanks. You know, you know, just appreciate it. So, sometimes we kind of brush it off. Will you ever do that? Somebody gives you a compliment, you know, you just like, it kind of embarrasses you a little bit. I think sometimes we do that with God. We, we, it seems like it's, it's too much. It, it's unbelievable. God, God, we're beloved. We're, I, God sees me. God, God sees me in the same way that he sees Jesus. Like, is he blind? I said to somebody yesterday, somebody said yesterday was the wedding had on a suit, you know, I, don't, I hardly ever wear a suit anymore unless, you know, somebody dies or somebody gets married. So I had on a suit. Somebody said, oh, you, you look so good. And I, they were, they're older, you know, like me. I said, your eyes are going. It's not true. It's just, you're losing your vision. And we kind of do that. We just discount it. Just hard, it's just hard for us to wrap our minds around this. We are beloved. I am beloved of God. I am precious to God. So because of that, I think this is incredible. I, we all know this, but because of that, we have access to the Father. We have access. Ephesians 2.18. Because we're family, we have access. Ephesians 2.18. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. See, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, you could only approach God through a priest and with a sacrifice. If you, so when you went to the temple, you went on purpose. You went to the temple. When you got to the temple, you were going to purchase a sacrifice. That sacrifice was going to be, altered, be, be offered on the altar. You actually were not going to get to go into the holy of holy place and watch them do it. You just were able to participate in the process. The priest was going to do that on your behalf. So you had limited access to God. But in Christ, the veil is torn. And we have access into the holy place through the blood of Christ. We have access. Unlimited, unrestricted. Acceptance. Access. It's, it's amazing. It, it doesn't take, uh, I mean, a lot of systems make access difficult. Jesus did everything to make access to the Father easier. So we don't have a, have a priest, and you don't have to have a preacher, and you don't have to say the magic word. It's just through him. Hebrews 
Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when can you get to him? Anytime. It's unlimited, unrestricted, acceptance and access. Anytime you need grace to help in a time of need. Anytime you need it, it's available to you. 24-7. You can run to the Father. You can run to the throne room. You can come, to the, you can come into the very presence of God and be accepted because of what Jesus has done. And we're adopted with this unbelievable inheritance. We have an unbelievable inheritance. Uh, it's hard for us to comprehend really how this inheritance works, but we have the same inheritance as Jesus. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. It says this over and over through the scripture. Jesus purchased for us on the cross. We are now the sons of God. So we are, everything Jesus gets in eternity, we get. And that's, I mean, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that because I can't even really fully understand that. But here's something, here's what God says about it in Revelation 21. So God is like giving us a picture. This is what you're going to get. This is your inheritance. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, there will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So we have an inheritance. So first of all, uh, the greatest gift we receive, our greatest gift, the greatest inheritance we get, and I've said this, but I want you to get this because it's so important. Our inheritance is God himself. That's our inheritance. I mean, I, there's, there's no treasure greater in the universe. The God who, who created the universe, who spoke it into existence, there's no way for us to understand the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God, the wisdom of the knowledge of God. There's no there's no way for us to understand the, the depths and the riches of his love, of his grace, his mercy, his goodness, his kindness, his character, his nature being unfolded before us. It's, it's going to be better than money. And it's eternal. The inheritance of heaven is God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And we've already received the Holy Spirit as a down payment. The Bible says you've already got the Holy Spirit. It's a down payment on your inheritance. We get a resurrected, glorified body just like Jesus. We get to trade in this old worn-out model for a new one that's eternal and won't wear out. Anybody want that one? That's right. We're going to be made like him. We have the entrance of the kingdom of the new heaven and the new earth. 
And we don't even, that's like, wow, what's that going to be like? It's incredible. See, he was made like us so we could be made like him. We have this, this he, he was made in flesh so that we could, in the likeness of flesh, so that we could be made in the likeness of his resurrected body. So we're, we're going to, his resurrected body, this, this, we're, we're going to be like him in that resurrected body. We're going to have this huge family reunion. I, I don't, I, you know, it looks like, it looks like the marriage supper of the lamb lasts maybe for a thousand years. I can't really figure it out. I'm not sure, but uh, <clears throat> it doesn't really matter. Uh, heaven is going to be one giant family reunion of you uh, being with all the people you love and, and loving all the people you're with. That doesn't always happen, <laughs> you know, that you don't always love all the people you're with, right? But in heaven, we're going to get to be with the, not, not, I'm not just talking about your little family. You know, we think about that. We think about, well, you know, my family, my kids, you know, be great grandma. We're going to see grandma and we're going to see, no, no, we're going to, the, we're going to, well, we're going to be in this great spiritual family, this, the, the family of God, not the family where I'm the I'm the patriarch of the family, where old, old Pops Hewitt is the patriarch of the family, or Wayne Goodell's the patriarch of the family. It's not, no, there's one father where this family on heaven and earth gets its name, God our Father. And so now we're, in this, now we're not just in this little family, we are in that little family, but it's going, to be, it's going to be swallowed up in a greater family, a better family, an eternal family with a better father, an eternal father. We have a great, great inheritance in Christ. I think that's it. So, you're a saint, or you ain't. If you ain't a saint, you need to become a saint. You need to come to Christ and let him do what only he can do. Because only he can make us righteous, make us holy, make us clean, forgive us, and make us his own. And he does it just like that. And then he invites us. It's an incredible thing that the God of the universe says, listen, I'd like for you to be in my family. You say, wait a minute, you know about my family? You, you know about me? God says, I know all about you. And I want you. I want you in my family. Amen? All right. Let's stand up and let's pray. And I'll stop. <clears throat> Lord, help us to get it. Help us to understand how much you love us. You love us so much you had a plan to bring us into your eternal family, to make us sons and daughters, to to deliver us from the domain of darkness, to get us out of the garbage heap and get us into the, get us in the kingdom, get us out of the world that's controlled by sin and darkness and get us into the world that's controlled by love and light. You brought us into your eternal family and you've adopted us and you've made us saints. You've established us by your work, your glorious, marvelous work on the cross. And we rejoice in it.
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. I love you.